0: You're listening to the Pure Desire Podcast, your safe place to find hope, healing, and freedom from sexual addiction, betrayal, and relationship issues. What's up, people? I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and you're listening to episode 187 of the Pure Desire Podcast. Here joining me, as always, is my co-host, Nick Stumbo. Freedom! I feel like I could be from so many things, but I'm going to guess it's... You're quoting Braveheart.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm not they sure could where else lines, gets yelled like that. Take... kind of yeah. unique to Braveheart, yeah. so. Yeah.
0: Such a great accent, by the way. Um, did you know, this is a little trivia for you. Uh, that you just heard the extent of my knowledge of Braveheart. <laughs> it's so not, bra- it's not about, about Braveheart, Braveheart. It's, about, <laughs> it's about Mel Gibson. <laughs> oh, okay. When uh, I believe Mad Max uh, was one of, the, the first Mad Max was one of his first movies, and that I believe he's actually from originally Australia. And had an Australian accent. But then, as you can see now, there's no Australian accent. Did you know that?
1: I did not. I'm okay. always impressed when people who have like Australian or British accents are in American films and they sound American. I'm like, I don't know how they could do that. <laughs> because once you have an English accent, it seems so distinct. Oh, you know, man. I hear them interviewed and you're like, really? That's what you sound like? Wow. I know. It's amazing. I would love to have an accent. Anyways, uh, I do to some people.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what? He's not- He's not Australian. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, our <laughs> He spent time just leave me alone. The producer now is telling me I'm wrong. Anyways, he had an accident when he started in the first movie. Anyways, okay. So today, um, we had a guest on to talk about overcoming brokenness and it uh, it was really really powerful. I think there's a lot in there and a lot of people might know who our guest was. Our guest is Paul Young. He is the author of The Shack, um, and has an incredible uh and really Sad story uh, of how trauma entered his life and really what that process looked like of overcoming the brokenness because of it,
1: yeah, yeah, and I'm excited about today's interview because I think Paul just does a good job of bringing out the heart of who God made us to be and making sure that's where we find our value and not something else that's been assigned to us that that really isn't true that that we're made in the image of God, and that that fundamental you know goodness of his creation is really what should guard our hearts and our minds and um, I know some people take issue with Paul's theology, and I, you know, I just want to say, pure desires theology hasn't changed. You know, if you need to read it, it's on the website, right. and and yet we want to be able to listen and hear from other people that can bring perspective. And so, for those that may be bothered by even in this episode, some theological things that come up that maybe cause you to raise an eyebrow or, or or, or think differently, you know, you can you know take take the good and, and spit that out. And if if you're not able to get past that, you know, we we get it, but yep. we think Paul has a story to share and what I am confident of is that that he loves Jesus. Yes. Um, he loves the God of the Bible, and he wants people to meet that God. Yep. And some of the ways he's interpreted it, I think, are actually the very things that are helping move our thinking forward of, of who are we as people, yep. and what does it mean to be aligned with God's opinion of us. So yep. that's what I love about today's episode. And um, he he does use some uh, you know what we'd call salty language, and in his theology, he's comfortable with some language that um, some of you might think is great and yeah. will love him more, but yep. others of you might be a little bothered by. So yep. we are going to try to navigate some of those um, language choices yes. uh, because we don't we don't want uh, his word choices to keep you yeah. from hearing what we think are some really valuable points when yep. it comes to our recovery yep. and our woundedness and our brokenness. Because there's there's a message here I think we need to hear.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So a few things before we get to our time with Paul, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, If you are not, just do it. Don't wait any longer. You can find us on all the major platforms, including now, Audible. You're welcome. Audible subscribers. Uh, If you can give us a review, it also helps other people find the podcast. Uh, Follow us on social media at Pure Desire PDMI, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're actually putting all of these episodes now, full episodes up on YouTube. Just search Pure Desire Ministries. And then we really, we just want to continue pushing it. We're excited about it. March 5 and 6, we have the Pure Desire Virtual Groups Conference. Nick, why don't you tell the people about it?
1: Yeah, you know, if you've ever been playing a video game and like you unlocked a new level, like you leveled up, and suddenly the <laughs> the, the game was just a whole better experience, that's like what we're talking about with the group's conference. Yeah. That if you are in a group or leading a group or looking to start a group, we can help you level up, have a better experience, be a better leader, yeah. launch better groups. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of our two hundred one training. Yeah. Um, I've gotten to share the content just one time last year, and I'm so excited to share it with people all over the country because I think it'll just it'll take their experience to another level. So yep. sign up. We'd love to see you there. Whether you're um, online with us live in the moment or you know viewing them in the weeks that follow, yep. I think you'll get a ton out of it.
0: And uh, we have uh, a chance to enter here to win a free ticket. If you go to puredesire.org slash pod survey, fill out the listener survey, and we're going to pick two winners for a free admission to our groups conference, March 5 and 6. All you have to do uh, is, and this is for in person, we have a small in person, uh, 50 people. There's only 40, 40 spots that are there. There are only 40 spots that are there. We will give you a free ticket to come and see this event live. You can wear a mask if you'd like. Definitely that will, that will be it. But go to puredesire.org slash podsurvey. Enter the drawing. We will pick winners on February 19th. That's all we have for you. Here is our time with New York Times bestselling author, Paul Young. Uh, Paul Young, we're super excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks for just taking the time and hanging out with us. We appreciate it.
2: I'm absolutely honored to be with you. I love these things. It's always a two way street. I tend to I tend to learn a lot, which is uh, what I need. Sometimes I even say things I have to learn from. So
0: <laughs> that's good. <laughs> uh, honestly. Um, I will, I'll just disclose right now, I was the type of person who had never read The Shack and was critical about it and then read it last year. And it's one of my favorite books. Uh, and I just want to tell you uh, that I, the scene with the Holy Spirit tending the garden uh, still sits with me today. I love that. Um, have been a fan of yours since then. And then uh, I got to hear your story on a number of different podcasts. Um, one, you spent time with Ian Morgan Cron on the Typology I podcast. I and honestly, if you just want to reach out to Ian and let him know I want to be his friend, that would be so great. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I just I was struck by hearing your story. I was struck by how much trauma and how much difficulty you've experienced and had to overcome. And we just wanted to kind of dive in that into that and and hear your story more and uh, really just share what you've learned through your journey um, with our listeners. Um, and you know, one of the things too, just the idea of reducing shame when it comes to trauma and abuse and brokenness, for sure. um, and how to how to really give hope to those who are in the midst of struggle, because that's our listeners are in that season uh, right now. So yeah, uh, yeah. Thank you again just for being here.
2: Um wow. let's go for it.
1: Yeah. So, Paul, a lot of our listeners may know you as the author of the Shack, uh, or maybe they connected with you as you shared your story on the Heart of Man film, and and that's some of what we want to get into today. But. Uh, we may have a lot of listeners that don't know much about you, the person Paul Young. So, could you just maybe share with our listeners a snapshot of your life, your background? Who is Paul Young?
2: You know what? <clears throat> we all grow up in a in a town called Normal. Yeah. Yep. We we think yep. our first experiences are pretty normal. So mine was I was born Canadian, in Grand Prairie, Alberta, and uh, I was ten months old. And my parents born. So my parents and I moved across the planet to the other side, uh, to the highlands of New Guinea, where I grew up. Wow. Um, in a in a valley that was nicknamed Cannibal Valley, mm. you know, and not because it was a cool name. <laughs> oh <my laughs> it, it was actually a descriptor. <laughs> and, uh, but I didn't know, you know, and so I thought everybody grew up around cannibals. And uh, the, the tribe was huge. It was um, 20 to 40,000 members over 100 square miles. And New Guinea has over 800 unrelated language groups
1: right wow wow. and
2: and nobody outside of the that tribal culture had ever heard their language and so i was the first i was the informant for Wycliffe when they translated it when i was five years old because i could i could speak it fluently wow including some linguistic peculiarities that had never been heard in any language before (laughs) and uh, and so that was that was my world you know and at six i was sent out to boarding school Um, At 10, my parents only packed up in the middle of a year, and we moved back to Canada, and my dad became an itinerant pastor, and um, uh, I went to 13 schools before I graduated high school. Um, I went to Canadian Bible College in Central Canada, and then uh, finished, uh, well, did three years of theology there, finished an undergraduate degree in religion in Portland, Oregon, went to seminary in Portland, but in Portland, Gresham, Oregon, actually, I met Kim. And um thank God I married her. Thank, <laughs> thank you, God, I married her. <laughs> she she saved my life. And and um, and you know, that's sort of the big landscape inside of that is the sexual abuse that was part of the tribal culture that continued when I was sent to boarding school at six and Christian missionary boarding school. Um, the sexual abuse and and um a very difficult um relationship with my dad uh he he was um, an abusive disciplinarian and so he just terrified me from the moment that I ever met him and um i just uh, i wanted little to do with him except you know for those of us who have an absent or or missing or um angry father we we still are looking for everything that father means and yeah, um
1: yeah absolutely and that followed
2: that followed me for years. Um very uh very grew up in Western evangelical holiness fundamentalism, uh very um performance uh driven relationship with God. And yeah. and and you know, the way that I de- dealt with my own sense of shame was that I became a performance addict. So that worked pretty well.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh And, and so I, you know, uh, it was a survival skill, but I actually thought because I had such a low view of myself that I, I didn't know how to do anything else, even though along the way I did all kinds of stuff, you know, but, Mm -hmm. uh, when, when you, when you begin, begin with the underlying belief that you're a piece of, to start with, it's, it's hard to see any value in anything (laughs) you do. everything feels like you're a fake right and plus i had post theology right piece of theology um which i got from martin luther and the reformation yeah Yeah. like human beings are snow covered dung well what kind of theology is that (laughs) you have you're totally depraved you have a sin nature and um it's hard to build a constructive authentic life Mm. um know on on that kind of theology so not only did my dad communicate that to me
0: Hmm.
2: that i was worthless and sexual abuse communicated that in an an entirely different and absolutely um, destructive way Uh, but but god felt that way too and 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 god loved me god the father loved me um, Jesus actually loved me. God, the father put up with me because he didn't know I was there. You know, Jesus, co- <laughs> Jesus covered me over with his own righteousness yeah. so that, so that I, he could sneak a piece of into heaven with, you know, and yeah. God would be going like, do you smell that? It smells like <laughs> crap, you know, yeah, find and it though. Je- Jesus is, you know, doing his little bottle of yeah. redemption and, huh. and propitiation and hmm. atonement and all that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, you know, uh. By the time I was 12, two years back into Canada, trying to figure out how to survive in a culture I didn't understand, even though I looked like I should.
0: Mm.
2: And um, and with the kind of history I had, which my parents didn't have a clue about what I had experienced, nothing. Uh, they weren't safe to talk to mm. when I was growing up. Nobody was actually. Yeah. And um, so by 12, I'm pretty much addicted to porn, like, it, just owned me mm-hmm. and i hated it it was it was absolute proof that god and my dad and everybody else was right yeah you know
1: yep yeah and, reinforcing uh, those messages yep absolutely and,
2: yeah so so guilt is that i have done something wrong and i did things wrong mm-hmm. but shame is i am something wrong yep and uh, and wholeness whole with the same root as holiness but wholeness is when the way of your being matches or is an expression of the truth of your being Hmm. that's when wholeness is when you're integrated so that how you live your life is an actual expression of your ontology the truth of who you are that's good and uh, but if you think that you're a piece of piece of crap to begin with that's the truth of who you are yeah good luck (laughs) You know, because because all your religious performance, you will know at the back of your mind, you're just a fake and you're just waiting for somebody to expose you. Yep. And exposure becomes the big terror, you know. So. So I I didn't run away from relationships. When when my facades start to crumble, I just heard God call me somewhere else.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like any anywhere else. Of (laughs) course, God would call me. (laughs) Well, okay. So Paul, you, and you're talking a lot about, um, about trauma that entered your life at a really young age. And we talk yeah. about this a lot here, that it's not just the, the big T trauma of the abuse. Um, but it's also maybe the neglect from your dad or those lacks that you have in life, the culture, uh, the messages that you learned, those being traumatic really over yep. time. So, um, those things don't go away, which would be so great <laughs> if they just did. Um, you but- know, the,
2: uh, they went away once. Okay, I got hit by a car. I was a pedestrian. <laughs> oh and it knocked gosh. me a half a block. <laughs> and um they said I never lost consciousness, but I was stuck in a cerebral loop. So I was saying, what happened? And then they they said, Well, Paul, you were almost killed. You were hit. Oh my this goodness. is at the scene. You were you were hit by a 16 year old high risk driver doing 50 miles an hour in the center turning lane. Oh my and goodness. um and uh, we're going to take you to the hospital. Oh, so what happened anyway?
0: You know, <laughs> yeah, I, right. I, yeah. For about right. 24 hours. Oh, there you go. Okay. You know,
2: except except they had to do surgery without anesthetics because of the head injuries oh, and all this man. stuff. And so so a couple of days later, I come to conscious awareness. And I'm laying there in the hospital bed, and and it's like I don't recognize anything. I know what a bed is. I know what tables are and food is. <laughs> sure. And, and but I don't know what country I'm in. And I don't know what year it is. Right. I and I don't know one person who walks in the door. And Kim actually we weren't married. This is before we were married, but we were friends. And she walks in and just bursts into tears because I'm pretty wrecked. And hmm. and she leaves. And I'm laying there thinking, like, huh? wonder who she is. She's cute, you know, yeah. <laughs> in my mangled yeah, state, you know. Right. right. And, Probably not here's, the
1: ideal way to deal with trauma. No. No, but <laughs> for sure. Here's,
2: here's what's the crazy thing. I entered for a few weeks, well, for a few days especially, into one of the most peaceful Hmm. times I had ever experienced. I had no baggage. I had no addictions.
0: Interesting. Yeah.
2: I had, I had no memories of loss. I had no, I had nothing. You know, I only knew I had this one relationship, Jesus. That's all I knew. Wow. And, and Jesus was with me. It was going to be okay. And, but I had no baggage. And then as my (laughs) memories started to chunk back in, you know, same wow. with the baggage and, you know, yep. so much for peace, you know, so, right. but, but that was the only time up until it. I really dealt with all my crap that, yeah that, um, I had that sense of peace.
0: So you mentioned though, that pornography was an issue. How else did you see, cause trauma becoming brokenness, you know, and that's the fruit of it when it's undealt with in our life. So how else, uh, did you see that trauma play out in your life?
2: Oh, disassociative. I you know, I could compartmentalize unbelievably. Mm. Right. So, and I learned that first from my dad when he would, when we he would come to take his, take the wrath of God out on me, you know. Um mm. I I learned how to disappear, how to not be present. Mm. Right. And so that affected me well into my marriage where where if Kim was angry about something, I'd just disappear yeah and uh, i i i would like freeze inside you know and um uh i also had no, i i didn't have a capacity to be angry which was really interesting mm. i was angry there's yeah. no question about the fact that i was angry right and and uh, but i i had it was too dangerous I, I was a real i was an inveterate liar that is to me, I've come to realize that almost all lying is a survival skill, hmm. right? And it yeah. points back to trauma of one source or another. So people don't lie to deceive you. They lie to stay safe. Yeah. So, so you know, some lying is totally intended to deceive, but even that is you know woven into survival skills of one Mm. sort or another related to trauma right and and you know the two things that i tried with my dad to to stop him one was to lie right if i could convince him that i wasn't guilty of whatever it was that he was punishing me for or or that i wasn't as guilty as he thought maybe i could reduce right Uh, you know the punishment and the other thing i tried was to yell at him over and over and over i'll be good those three words i'll be good i'll be good i'll be good and for you know a five-year-old and a six-year-old and a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old to yell i'll be good and try to make that promise again right just reinforces the reverse statement
1: yeah I know I'm, I'm I know I'm
2: bad wow. i know i'm bad i know i'm bad yeah yep and um and so any time that my facade started to slip and that's probably other the other big piece of of this is i i built i built a facade and that's where the shack imagery comes from it comes from we all have a house on the inside
1: hmm.
2: you know that people have helped us build and god has been involved with creating and A lot of us we didn't get good help you know and so that's the house on the inside that we store our addictions and we hide our secrets there and we never invite anybody in there because we're just terrified that once exposed whatever shreds of kindness and affection will evaporate
0: Hmm.
2: and so so i drug out timbers from my inside house far enough away that i could build a facade that is you know, like in the movies, it's a quarter-inch piece of plywood, but it looks like a building. You know, yeah. and um, and so I could. The thing about a facade is, you can take that plywood and and paint it as fast as you can pick up people's expectations. Mm. And you learn to live from the outside in, not from the inside out, because you got nothing on the inside that's worth living out from. Yeah. So you're constantly trying to create an identity based on people's responses to you. So if you're a performance addict, then all of a sudden performing is really critical and the responses to your performance dictates to you how you feel about yourself at any given moment right so you're always at risk um hypervigilance you're you're constantly i mean you spend a huge amount of energy keeping track of what's going on out here you know somebody has said that liars have to have good memories <laughs> you know so you're you have to remember everything you've said to who and when you've said it and then you know if somebody starts Punching a hole down through your little thin layer of perfectionist performance that covers up the ocean of shame Up comes the shame and and you have to then try to Try to shade their view of what happened or who said what or whatever in order to justify yourself and it's perfectionist performance That's the problem.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Right and um, and that's the power of secrets, you know, you keep all kinds of secrets and and the secrets I mean, you are as sick as the secrets you keep. That's, that's the absolute truth. Mm -hmm. And the unexposed is the unhealed. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's the last thing you want, like, to be exposed. I mean, that's like hell. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so you live a life hidden, you know, I didn't build a facade to try to deceive people. I built the facade because I thought that's what God wanted. Yeah. I thought God wanted me to look like that. And I thought if I could just look like that perfectly, then I could win the approval and the love and the affection of other people. And so I was hoping that if I could just play the part perfectly, that maybe I could the facade could become the house on the inside. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and part of the problem is, is that that secrets and here's how this all works we have these secrets right so and they reinforce the idea that you're just a piece of shit. so you've got that as your underlying truth about yourself and you're trying to act out here different than what you believe about yourself mm-hmm. because god's telling you that that's what he wants you to do to be like and the church is telling you and 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 so, and and there's something in you that actually wants to be authentic and wants to be good and all this, and you don't you don't tell anybody your secrets. I didn't tell anybody my secrets, man. I just I just didn't go there. And um, and so, um, I I am I am needing you know because if I tell you my secrets, then the little bits of light that you give me, you know those. Those moments of affirmation and kindness and the nice things that you say and all that right, I actually need those to exist, but here's the problem. When you are affirming and you are kind, even though I can suck some life out of it, I really know
1: yeah that, if they that only knew fake
2: yeah yeah because right. if, if they, they knew,
1: knew my the secrets, real story
0: right yeah, yeah it's, yep, a dis, yep, it's, so. it's a discounted so. version of value yep. yeah i'm for sure.
2: absolutely trapped by my secrets yep. and then and then you got a verse like on that day i you know i whatever you've done in secret i will shout from the rooftops and you're going like
0: um,
2: well that's yeah. that's the <laughs> that's the threat yeah. of humiliation right and really it is the cry of redemption mm-hmm. that is that is the invitation to healing yeah because the unexposed is the unhealed yeah you know the holy spirit has mm. come to convict the word convict is the word to expose
0: mm.
2: and it's like mm. Mm. and
0: what i'm hearing too paul is like what's funny because to use your own language when there comes that threat of exposure I know in my story, that's when to God, I'm like, I'll be good. I'll be good. I'll be good. Right. Yeah. Or to
2: my wife or
0: to whoever the
2: other person is, my boss, whatever. Give me another chance. Right. You know, right. Uh, I will do it perfectly next time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. So Paul, one of the uh, challenges we often find here at Pure Desire is that as people come in, you know, there's a behavior in their life that they want to change or it's wrecking their marriage but so many of them have a very difficult time seeing their trauma because we've often been taught in our church background or Christianity that, that, you know, we forget the past, we move on. And so we have people all the time saying, well, all
2: things have passed away. Yeah. All things have become new. Yes. They'll say,
1: well, I, I didn't really experience much trauma growing up or I, yeah, it wasn't that big of a deal. And they're just focused on fixing the problem. And so it's, it's like helping them connect. No, these, these things in your life mattered and they created patterns and false beliefs and we have to address them. And so it, as you think about that, how have you become comfortable in connecting um, you know, your trauma and your past and being aware of the impact on your life and being able to bring it into your faith so that God can really bring about that healing and redemption? Because I I'm guessing we have a lot of listeners that that's maybe a, a still a part of their story, like I don't have that much trauma. And and yet they do. Or, so how do we yeah. how do or we, connect we compare it with other
2: people's trauma? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. all yeah. the time. We go all like the time. Well, at least I didn't go through that, you right. know? Right. And, and the thing about abuse and trauma is that you can put 10 children in front of the exact same abuse and you will have 10 lives go 10 completely different ways
0: Uh, yeah
2: there will some that will just curl up and die there will some that will just absolutely blank it out as if it doesn't exist and Mm. and that impacts them too down the road yep um you know for a longest time I didn't think I was actually sexually abused cuz I'm I'm the piece of crap I'm the boy right and and yeah girls are sexually abused but boys aren't sexually abused huh. yeah and um and so I had a disconnect there I remember when Chad was 6 and he's our firstborn of six kids and and when he was he the day he turned 6 I was and I remember this, clear, Isabel. I'm sitting on the couch, and he's got one foot up on, on the, the hearth, of the fireplace, and I'm looking at him, and this thought comes through, and it's. He's only six. How could it have been his fault, yeah. right? Yeah. And and I'm I'm absolutely projecting myself on yep. him, but I I don't even allow that thought to linger because it's just. But it did blindside me. Hmm. So, so it's not about us getting to the place where then now God can help us. It's about the fact that God is involved in the movement of our wholeness right from the get-go. Hmm. This is a God who doesn't leave or forsake. And and yet God is not going to heal you apart from your participation.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. This
2: this element of personal agency is absolutely essential. Hmm because God God has too high a view of you to heal you without your participation. And, and I, sometimes I see my life at that time like a wall of locks, you know, they're all linked to little doors and, but they're all intertwined. And, and I don't know that by working on one of the locks over on this side, that when it frees itself, it's gonna, click a whole bunch of things over to this other side and open Mm. up a door that and i don't know how these things only god who knows how you're wired and built and how you've been damaged knows how to unwind that Mm. in a way that doesn't hurt you more and that's going to take time we would love you know extreme soul makeover
1: right let's (laughs) just yeah get her done in a day send me
2: to disney world and fix me by the time i get back you know or isn't there a red or a blue pill right
0: Right. oh gosh yes
2: and it it's like no you're you're too incredibly crafted for quick fixes yeah it's not how it works and you're not going to be healed apart from relationship Mm -hmm. it's not going to happen you are a fundamentally relational being yeah and wholeness is going to be relational in nature
1: right yeah, yeah. I I love your story about you know seeing your six year old and realizing h- the innocence of it, what it means to be a child, and what I've tried to share with people is to say too often we project back our adult brain into our childhood memories. Yep. Yeah. And the truth is, you know, when you're when your parents got divorced at seven, you didn't have your adult brain to make sense of what was happening. You had a seven year old brain yep. that maybe felt abandoned and lost and alone, and maybe it makes sense to you now, but I guarantee when you were seven it didn't make sense. And your brain figured out a way to to survive. And maybe that yep. was become a liar or become, you know, whatever the yep. many pathways that leads to. And if we can just recapture that of, oh yeah, I was, I was a child and that was traumatic. And because of what happened then, it's still impacting me. And that's where I think some Christians can get over their churchiness and just go, oh, if it's still impacting me today, then it's really not in my past. Right. It's still in the present because it's something that's not yet redeemed. It's not a part of where God has brought about wholeness and peace and joy and love, and so I need to be able to see that and and acknowledge yep. it so that my present, just like the illustration of the lock, so that my present can become a place of freedom and of peace
2: yeah or if or if I can reframe my damage to make it yep. you know part of my ministry
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> you right. know so that yep. my workaholism now I can do it to serve God right. right?
0: right. Yep.
2: because because I am yep. so driven to
0: perform, right,
2: right, and so we can make it look really good. Yeah, but nah. it's just masking over the same, the same old damage.
0: Well, and and, and Paul, what you're talking about, I think, uh, runs up into this next question that a lot of us grow up with this like spiritual paradigm um, that I think in so many ways limits our ability to, to what you're describing that idea of wholeness, stepping into that wholeness where who we are and who we believe ourselves to be manifests in wholeness. Like I know for me, I ran into a lot of paradigms that limited um, my ability to step into that. So for you and your experience, what were those paradigms or those Christian or, um, or church perspectives that you felt like limited your ability to step out of that brokenness and into wholeness?
2: Yeah. I, I not only had to go through a process in which, my addictions like porn and the ugly ones you know porn is a porn is the imagination of a relationship without the risk of a real one yeah and and when you've isolated yourself um the heart is still longs for intimacy and connection and contact and porn's an awful substitute yeah But what's the alternative for for those of us who are trapped inside of aloneness, you know? Um, So not only did I have to deal with the issue of porn, I had to deal with my gold-chained addictions, I call them, you know, like doing something great for God. Right. Now, there's a gold-chained addiction, right? Because I'm a firstborn missionary kid, preacher's kid. And, you know, I I had hands laid on me and cursed when I was a little boy. And it, it took... It took fully until I was fifty years old to be free from that.
0: Wow!
2: Right, and um, to not have to live under the jurisdiction of that kind of addiction. Hmm. So, um, there's a lot of things that happen within a religious context that are damaging. There's just no question about it. I mean, I I love the community of faith. I do, and uh, I'm not wild about institutional religious structures. You know. And, um, but um, the the whole, you know, why in the name of authenticity is it so difficult for people to actually live authentic lives? You know, Brad Jerzak and Bradley Jerzak and I just finished a novella called The Pastor, A Crisis, just to try to explore some of these issues of yep. trauma and pain, right? Yep. And, and, and the, the big question for us in that, in writing the novella was, is there anybody that's irredeemable and is there anybody that's unforgivable Mm -hmm. is there anybody that is so broken they're past the point of the potential for healing and the Mm -hmm. answer is no yeah the answer is no and um and so um but it's set up for performance it's set up to hide your your damage when when somebody is exposed we don't relate to them like family we relate to them like an imposition to the vision
0: wow
2: right and so yeah. every healthy family moves at the speed of the slowest and and family is the best model if you even want to have a model for communities of faith and every fa- healthy family moves at the speed of the slowest so if you've got a family and a child is born into it who is autistic that family will grind to a halt and and the resources of that family and the relationships around that family will circle to heal the loss, right? To heal the hurt, to be present to it, to engage with it. Every institution moves at the speed of the vision and the mission and the leadership. And and the slowest gets shunted off because they're not productive.
1: Let's kind of turn the page into that for you. Like, how have you started to find, how did you find healing and redemption from that brokenness? Like, what did it look like for you to enter into the wholeness of who God really says you are.
2: Wow, a lot of layers to that. I had to deal with bad theology including that God was against me because I was a sinner, yeah. right? So the so the I believe in the fiery fury of God. I do. I believe that 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 fury is redemptive love and that is opposed to anything in me that is not of love's kind.
1: Yeah. Amen. Uh,
2: to quote George MacDonald, right? This is not a God who will stand idly by, um, while anything that is in you that is not of love's kind remains, right? He is out to destroy that which is in you. That is not of love's kind. Why? Because he loves you. He wants you to be fully human and fully alive. Hmm. That's a big deal because yeah. a lot of us, we see, um, uh, Retributive, punitive uh, judgment in God, and mm-hmm. it's not. There is there is none of that in
0: God. Can there isn't. Yeah. Can I step in real quick on this, Paul? Yeah. I just read a book recently by a guy named Dane Ortland. It's a new book called Gentle and Lowly, and this for me was the paradigm shift in in understanding how God views me when I repent. I've done something wrong. I come to God. I I repent. I want to change. I want to step more into that wholeness or that health. And his argument looking at a lot of the Puritans was actually that's where God is at his best. God doesn't just frequent my brokenness like a hotel. He actually lives there all the time. And, and for me, I man alive, I struggle with this all the time where I do something wrong and I feel like God's got his, like to you, you talked about it earlier, that um, I'm only able to step in front of you, Lord, because of Jesus, this guy over here who did something for me. Um, and I always assume God has his arms crossed, and it's just like, well, it's about time you showed up. You know, when yeah. in reality- Well, how long is, is this going to last? Right, right. But <laughs> in in reality, he is like, yes, you're here. Let's do this. Like he actually, the, the, the language that Dane uses in that book is it's literally what gets God up in the morning, so to speak, is just meeting you in the brokenness, extending forgiveness and love. And I feel like uh, for me, that was something that, I don't think was intentionally communicated to me from a young age in order to damage me. Um, I believe that it was it was working to try to communicate what is believed to be true. But in reality, that kept me from ever wanting to bring any brokenness to the Lord, because why would I want to go to the grumpy guy in the sky with his arms crossed, who's just going to scowl at me and send me back, do better next time. Um, and so I'm I just want to- So wanna, ashamed. So ashamed. I just want to enter that in, that that God really, and this is what I'm experiencing personally, that- that God is excited to meet me in my brokenness. He's not excited that brokenness exists, but he's excited to meet me, his creation, his child in that moment.
2: Hey, let's let's clarify a little bit. It's not at the point of repentance.
0: Hmm.
2: It's at the point of union, which has been there from the beginning, Hmm. right? So he's excited about you, period. And he meets you in your brokenness because that's where you're at.
0: And the reason that you're bringing, even bringing this up right now is because I have a hard time personally even saying that, that yeah. apart from my performance or apart from my, we're really getting into my theology here, but like my performance, my ability, my quickness to repent, my ability to uh, to change on a dime, whatever it may be, I very often attribute my value or God's attitude uh, or tone toward me based on that completely, which I think is what you're hearing, <laughs>
2: Right. Which makes you the Lord of the universe, right? Because you can dictate to God God's emotional yeah. response to it's, you. And it's exhausting. Depending on your
0: performance.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah good right. luck with that. Let me yeah. know how it works for you. I can already tell you. Yeah. It sucks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and the, the, the the beauty of God's face is that it is always turned toward you. Hmm. We're the ones that turn our face away.
0: Yeah.
2: Yes. Have you, ever, have you seen Brad Jerzak's, um on YouTube? It's called The Two Chairs.
0: Mm-mm.
2: Oh my gosh. Take a look at that because he describes the one view of how, you know, when I turn away, God turns away, you know, and that's how the two chairs work, right? When I turn away, God turns away. And so I have to come back and repent and then God turns towards me. And when I sin, I turn, I turn away and he turns away. Right. But then he says there's a whole different way of looking at this. I turn away, God moves over in front of me. I turn <laughs> away, God moves over in front of me, right? And he he just lays this out in a dramatic fashion and mm. walks through the, the the scriptures in terms of like, here's the story of Adam. Here's the story of mm-hmm. Moses. Here's, right? And it's all this as opposed to this.
0: Yeah. Right? Hmm.
2: And so so often in our language, even in this conversation as, and, and I appreciate the authenticity of your response. And that is, that we we think that we are so deserving of that judgment, we can't imagine that we are loved apart from our performance
0: hmm.
2: you know and and it's it's just like how can how and and God's like, "Look, I am out to destroy everything that has attached itself to you that has covered over the diamond that you are." Hmm. Yes, you are not a piece of, shit, but you're so full of, shit, you know? <laughs> and, and so we're gonna deal with that. But I know the truth about you, and that doesn't change. If God is ever disappointed in you, it means that God doesn't know you. Hmm. Right? It is impossible for God to be disappointed in you. Because then God cannot be God. He would he would be stuck to expectations like human beings are expectations are just disappointments waiting to happen yeah god doesn't have any expectations he knows you he doesn't dwell stuck inside of time wondering how this is all going to work out if you can just get your act together right that's not the character and nature of god so again you know so to answer to go back to your question the one that you asked to change the page which we haven't really done very
1: but, (laughs) but it's a good conversation
2: yeah I had to I had to make some decisions. I had to decide not to kill myself. Right? Because suicide for me was the last way to run away before mm. hitting the bottom.
0: Wow.
2: Right? And and people think suicide's hitting the bottom. It's not. You know, facing your craps hitting the bottom. I mean really facing it where where you own the choices that you've done. Right? And you own the damage that you've done. I remember when you know and you know my story, so you know that Kim caught me in a three month affair with one of her best friends and and I had to make a decision whether to face her or kill myself Hmm. and to face her was to hit the bottom. In this situation, and the reason I know I hit the bottom is one is I never pointed a finger at her I didn't make her part ownership in you know like blame shifting. I I was done with that. In fact, I was so exhausted from trying to hold the universe together Mm. and and stay hidden. And and we didn't make my adultery the new secret. That's another thing. We did not create a new secret out Mm. of the exposure. And so the first person that I had to tell was Kim's dad who lived with us. And he lived with us for 17 years. He wow. died on his 84th birthday in 2002. And this is 1994, January 4th. And that evening I have to go and tell this man, and Kim's got five sisters and two brothers. So huge, connected, in, interrelated family. Hmm. And um, and I have to go and sit with this man. And I wanted him to beat the hell out of me. Hmm. I. Because I have defenses for that, <laughs> you know. But I have no defenses for kindness or broken hearts or mm-hmm. or forgiveness. I don't. And he never, not once in all the years, did he ever raise his voice against me. But I, I saw my words break his heart and leak out his eyes and down his face. And uh, his name is Willard. We all called him Willie, so the Willie in the shack is Kim's dad hmm. and um and so then I had to tell you know two of our kids went through it. the two oldest went through it with us at that time, and then over the years, I told the others, and that was always something that I needed to do and um and and I told Kim's family I went and talked to face to face Kim's family and talked face to face to my family and talked face to face to friends and all of it, put one foot in front of the other. The, another thing that I did, not because Kim asked me to, because she wasn't asking me to do anything. She was just furious. And um, and she was intensely furious for the first two years. And then it took it took a total of 11 years for Kim and I to heal. Wow. And, and that means to reconcile. That means so that she could trust me. And she knew she could trust me right 11 years for that wow and um but i i reached and pulled the yellow pages off the shelf and looked up counselors and started with the a's and found my way to agape youth and family services in milwaukee oregon and and uh and made appointment with total strangers out of the yellow pages and went there and said can you help me it's the first time in my life i'd ever said that to a human being wow because you know part of the perfectionist persona is that you don't need help yeah exactly. That's a weakness, you know.
0: Yeah.
2: Yep. And um and so and then to give myself over to a therapist. I I I was so alone in my in the story I told myself that I had to pay somebody to be trustworthy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and it was worth every yeah, Scott became Scott became my
1: for a lot of us.
2: Oh my god. Scott became my therapist and then my friend.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And um mm-hmm. And we worked. I worked hard. I worked hard, and and you know, meanwhile, I'm putting one foot in front of the other. I'm I'm working, doing my job. I'm, you know, every time I'm with Scott, I call Kim, and she just so what, whatever. I don't care, which is totally okay. One of the things, one of the things I had to let go of was the idea that I could heal anybody else, let alone myself. Yeah. Yep. You know, my my view was that. If God's requiring me to act perfectly and righteously, there has got to be a way that I can heal myself without anybody else finding out about it. Right. You know. Right. And uh, I mean, it's too too humiliating. Actually, it's humbling mm-hmm. to be human. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and to acknowledge the dust that we're made out of. And and so uh, it involved that. It involved then over the next years deconstructing and rebuilding you know some of us some of us need to deconstruct because of our fragility we need somebody like an art restoration expert who will come to the the beautiful old stained wedding dress and begin to meticulously remove the stains from mm. that dress some of us need bulldozers and wrecking <laughs> balls and I, I, I was the latter you know yeah and uh and my journey was a lot of bulldozers and wrecking balls but in the midst of it There was an emergence of of the sense of the kindness even if very intermittently at first right you know right um because the turmoil was so intense
0: yeah
2: i mean it it was really awful i i i would never want to go through that journey again ever in my life but Mm. i am grateful every day for it yeah So Kim, Kim and I are the best we've ever been. And I haven't had a, I I am, I have no porn addiction. I haven't for, well, over 20 some years.
0: Wow. Nothing. That's uh, a couple of things. Number one, thank you just for sharing all that. Uh, I know that's a lot. And I mean, from what I've heard from you, you're a pretty open book when it comes to it, but it's still not easy to enter that space again. So we appreciate that for sure. Um, and I guess. You know, just consider the people that are listening. Um, they're on the recovery and the healing journey. We have both people who are struggling with uh, porn and sex addiction. um We've also got betrayed spouses who are listening. Um, what would you share to them? are the maybe the two or three big things you learned in the healing process, that really difficult, okay. tough process?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Horn was broken for me when I began to trust that the truth of my being was that I was pure of heart, and because I, when you're depraved and a a total piece of, you know, the last thing you think is that you're pure of heart. Mm -hmm. But I'm made in the image of God. I'm in, I'm, I am made and crafted in the image. That's the truth of my being. The truth of my being is the image of God.
1: Yeah,
2: you know, it's not my, it's not my devastation. It's not my losses. It's not, you know and um and so you know i i I have um i am pure of heart and i have a sound mind you know and so um to begin to believe that look i am gentle by nature you know i'm patient by nature and for me to say that i'm impatient is to just talk about the way of my being when i don't remember who i am Mm. in the truth of my being Mm. right and uh so there were things like that as one is you've got to bring people into your world i mean you just have to you can't you know kim walked every day with her friend mary kay every day for the first two years sometimes twice a day sometimes three times a day but at least once a day and she would kim would yell and cuss and you know get it out so she didn't kill me (laughs) and uh God's so, grace. Yeah, and and I, I've watched, you know, and different people are going to work through these things differently. But one of them was, I blew up the marriage. Whatever our relationship was going to be, however our marriage, if it stayed intact, uh, was going to be, was going to have to be something different than what it was.
0: Hmm.
2: You know, and and so... It was like, okay, so let's let's rebuild in terms of relationship and not, you know, not the other kind of baggage that comes all with the expectations of what that all means. Mm. Um, for the betrayed, who are usually the women, you know, not always, but almost always, um, be angry. Feel, <laughs> you know? yeah, feel. Oh my gosh, yeah, you know, and and. That's really important. That's part of God's furious fire, right? But but distinguish between forgiveness and reconciliation.
0: Mm -hmm. Gosh,
2: yes. It's a big deal. Yes. Forgiveness is for the sake of the victim.
0: Hmm.
2: Right? Reconciliation is for the sake of the perpetrator.
1: Hmm.
2: Forgiveness is for the sake of the victim, in that if you if you don't let go of the pain in the person and the event and all of that you will continue to carry. In fact, you will even begin to manufacture an identity as a victim
0: Hmm.
2: and, and you will poison your other relationships because this will begin to define you. And, and Jesus, Peter says, you know, how many times do I have to forgive? Like seven. Right. And he's quoting Genesis. Yeah. Right. And, and Jesus quoting Genesis says, no, 70 times seven. And it's like, and Peter goes like, that's impossible. And Jesus says, you know, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain of unforgiveness, that's the context in one of the synoptic gospels of that passage.
0: Hmm.
2: It's like, you have the power. You can say, I forgive you. Now it may take like a hundred times or a thousand times the first day, you know, because you've got to deal with it. Just coming back up and coming back up and, Hmm. and in hard conversations about, the ripple effects of the choices that were made—you are going to have to continue to let it go and let it go yep. and let it go. Reconciliation is the rebuilding of trust. That is a journey, um, and <laughs> yep. you know, and when it happens, it's a miracle, man. It's yeah. like great. It's it's bigger than raising the dead, and because <laughs> um, raising the dead, the person's going to die anyway. It's just temporary. <laughs> But this stuff's eternal. And, and another way, another thing to define reconciliation, it is the rebuilding of trust. Right. And that means that the perpetrator has to own what they've done. Yep. That's called confession. Tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Right. And how many I can hear the women going like, yeah, if they'd only just tell the truth, yep. right? And and um so it's like, no, you confess and you tell it specifically. Kim wanted to know every detail about everything. And I told her. Wow. And it was devastating, right? Because all of her stuff's going to come up. And, and, you know, so many times I'm in these conversations, and especially with women who've been betrayed, and everything in their hurt is going to tell them that this is about them. There's no justification for adultery. There just isn't, right? And yeah, you may have to deal with some of your stuff and how it comes up and all of that, but that's not why this happened, right? You didn't drive your husband to commit adultery. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that's not how this works, and and so me as the person who's the perpetrator, I have to own everything that's a part of that, and I have to own the ripple effects and relationships that are uh, hurt and. And and have to step into it. I have to yeah. face the wind every day, right? And so confess, own it, ask for forgiveness. It's like, will you forgive me? For what? Right? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, name it.
0: Right. I
2: mean, and, and then as other things come up, name it again. Hmm. And then the fourth thing is change over time.
1: Hmm. It takes a person, time.
2: <laughs> it takes time, and yeah. and 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 so you know the a lot of confusion happens because say the woman who is betrayed thinks that forgiving means that she has to trust her husband. Hmm. No, you don't. Right? You don't no. have to trust your husband. That has to be proven over time. And and for me, I didn't go. I didn't go to counseling to fix Kim. I didn't go to counseling to fix our marriage. I went to counseling to say, is there any help for me? Right.
1: Yeah. It has to start with us.
2: Oh my gosh. And every step I took, Kim wouldn't believe it. And I thought, wow, she's not going to believe anything that ever changes. And then I think, well, but why should she?
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) You know? And and so, and then I, it's like, I've got to do this for me. Mm. I can't do this for anybody else. Yeah. I can't continue to live like this. Yeah, that's a good word.
0: Really good. Gosh, uh, <laughs> Paul, there's so much good stuff. I mean, I I think we this talk is- talk all day on some I know, of these I know it. And like we're just scratching the surface. We really are. Yeah. And this is, in all honesty, this is the type of conversation we have all the time. I mean, this is, you know, living into that wholeness, um, being honest about our story, being honest about our struggles, living authentically and vulnerably. Um, and- it's something that i i've seen um now and you know in the past listening to your story that you model and we just appreciate that um allowing people to see in if you will uh to what has gone on in your life so um you mentioned, Paul, this new novella, which, by the way, I read and I loved. Uh, I thought it was great. Uh, I listened to the audiobook for any of you oh, who like isn't reading. Isn't the audiobook
2: great? I oh know.
0: My gosh. And those reading Nazis out there who are like that doesn't count as reading. It's like, well, yes, it does. I have two young kids. Um, but uh, other than this book, I mean, you can talk about it a little bit too if you'd like. But um, what do you have going on in your life? Anything that you want people to keep up with?
2: Oh. No, I don't really care about any of that stuff. (laughs) All uh, (laughs) right. And, uh, you know, I'm working on other books and stuff, but I could be dead by tomorrow. So sure. The big thing for me and, and here for both the perpetrator and the victim. Here is the best thing that I can tell you. Do the work of staying present. That is refuse to be a future tripper. And and. Future tripping is a phrase that I've coined about how we create imaginations that are not present tense,
0: mm-hmm. right?
2: This is fear-based stuff that pushes us out of the present, right? Because all of a sudden you're going to start imagining what will life be like if I'm not married? What will right. life be like? How am I going to tell my kids? What am I going to say to them? What am I going to say to this person? What if they find out at work? What if, you know? Yeah. And and uh, for the victim, it's like, what is life going to be like without them? What if? you know, same things, it's all future tripping. And, mm. and here are the words of Jesus, fear not, I am with you. Take no thought for tomorrow, it's got enough issues of its own. Right. Sufficient to the day is the grace thereof. You don't get grace today for things that don't exist. And by not staying present, you're attaching all kinds of things that don't exist yeah. to you. Yes. And, you, and the work is to stay present. That And that means you're able to respond to that, which is actually in front of you, not the imagination of what will they think and how will they react and what am I gonna say? And we're gonna end up broken, living under Burnside Bridge in a cardboard box. And (laughs) this is, you know, how are we gonna divide up the house? And if those decisions are not needing to be made today, don't go there.
1: Stay present, yes.
2: Stay present. In the presence is where joy lives, mm, right? Wow. Because this is where God lives. God yeah. doesn't live in imagination. Hmm. And a lot of our prayers are desperate pleas for grace for things that don't exist.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. And it's like hmm. put one foot. Sometimes it's the grace of the minute, sometimes it's the grace of the hour, but never or the more second. than you're <laughs> <or laughs> the second, but never more than one day.
0: Yeah.
2: And the question you can ask yourself is do I have enough today? Hmm. And if you hear, nope, you're alone, call somebody. That's the point <laughs> that's where the you've lie. got. Yes. That's because the lie is you're alone. The lie is there's not enough. The lie is this is never going to work out. The lie is yeah. you're a piece of crap. The lie is, you know, all of these things. That's not the truth of who who you are. Yes, you may have acted in really crappy ways. <laughs> right. Yes, you made some really stupid destructive decisions yeah that's true but the truth of who you are is you're this incredible creation that is made in the image and likeness of god Mm -hmm. and that is how god relates to you not blind eyed yeah but like yeah i know you're hurt i know you've been hurt and in ways that you don't even know Hmm. and and i know you've been figuring out how to survive in a world with the kinds of equipment that was given to you and a lot of it doesn't work <laughs> yeah right? right And so it's like but yeah. the thing about it is if you don't stay present the imagination will destroy you
0: hmm.
2: if that's porn porn yeah. is the imagination of yeah. something not present
1: yeah, that's that's so good, Paul. Because yes. I get guys all the time that'll say, you know, that angst of like, I don't know if I can get free of this. I don't know if I can be free forever, and like, it's gonna See, come back. And they're future tripping their yep. process, right? And there. I'll <laughs> ask that question: say, well, what what about today? Yeah, today can yeah. you be free of it? And they're like, well, well, yeah, I can do that. It's like, okay, yeah, then then do that today, and tomorrow when you get up, meet God tomorrow, and and take through another day. Yes, and don't worry about two years from now. Like, work work with God today, and I think that. Yeah. That advice to just being present in this current moment with the lord and the strength he provides like yeah we've lost that i think in so many ways and so to come back to just let's just be here together with the lord yeah. and in community today and let tomorrow take care of tomorrow and that's, don't that's future awesome. trip other
2: yeah don't future trip other people's processes either
1: right no. yeah right yeah
2: so if you're the victim don't future trip the perpetrator's process hmm you know, don't try to figure out how long is this going to take? And if you're the perpetrator, don't you dare future trip the victim's process.
0: Yep. Why are you still mad at me? Right. Well, it's been three weeks. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. But it's yeah. so uh, easy to fall into that because I think we have this expectation of ourselves that change should happen like that. And just boom, there we go. When in well, reality, plus we it want to get,
2: we want to get out from under the pain of it.
0: Absolutely. We don't Absolutely. want to suffer. Yep. It's true. Right. Yep.
2: And so, you know, at some point, If we start blame shifting and and doing that yeah it's all because we've left the presence Hmm. it's it's here and now that god whispers to you i love you yeah you're my child that's why fear not i am with you right yeah that's about now my verse for 2020 is hebrews 313 first time i ever got a verse in decades i think god knows i get triggered by scripture so (laughs) Um, they don't give me a verse.
1: <laughs> I have a word for you. Oh, no. <laughs> uh,
2: exactly. Thanks.
1: Here we Thanks. go. Yeah.
2: So, but my verse is this. It goes like this. Encourage or enlarge the heart of one another as long as it is about today.
1: Mm, yeah.
2: So that you are not swept away by the deceitfulness of brokenness.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah.
2: And today is in all caps in the New American Standard because in the Greek, it's emphatic. Mm. Right. Today, only encourage one another as long as it's about today. Now, I have a calendar. I hold it very loosely. <laughs> it took a little virus to absolutely destroy it in 2020, and and that's the the beauty, you know. My calendar is not my identity. Yep. And Good. my identity comes from this relationship that I have inside the grace of this just this day, only this day. This yeah. is how children live until they have to develop survival skills. Yeah. They're. They're experts in living in today.
1: Yeah. Good word. Yeah. It's a good word.
0: Uh, Paul, uh, just this time together, I mean, some of the things I just want to summarize that um, trauma and brokenness is around in our life. It is something that we have to face if we really do want to step into wholeness. Uh, And again, we talk about this all the time that our health or unhealth always impacts other people, whether we know it or not. And so there's so much at stake um, and I love the the language that you use, Paul, where it's not uh, rock bottom isn't, uh, rock bottom is turning and facing those things. <laughs> and so that's really what we want to encourage is that those difficult areas, those things in your life that you know are unwanted, uh, those are the things we have to turn and face and trust that God is going to meet us in that moment. So Paul, uh, thank you so much. Honestly, it was an honor to be able to meet you, spend some time with you, and, and just thanks for being on the podcast. And
2: with you too. Two-way street. Love you guys. Thank you.
0: And wherever you're at on your journey, Pure Desire is here to help create a roadmap for your healing. If you or someone you know is impacted by sexual brokenness, go to puredesire.org and let's start the healing journey today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Each week we put out new content to help you on the road to freedom and the effects of sexual brokenness. And lastly, never stop being healthy.